Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. listening to Technogaze, where we gaze into the world of consumer electronics, gadgets and technology. I'm Michael, and in the studio with me today is Nicole. Hi. How's your week been? Oh, it's been a busy week. It has, hasn't it? Busy week for technology, too. Lots and lots of stories. Mm -hmm. And joining us also is our resident indie game developer, Luke. Hello. How are you? Oh, not too bad. How's everyone? Very well. We're very well. Tell us, what are you working on at the moment? Uh, Well, just it's been a pretty good week. I'm making a game at the moment, gay-themed, of course. Um, But it's been quite a bewildering week for technology. So much has happened, wouldn't you say? A lot has happened and a lot has happened in the last few days as Mm -hmm. well. So, um, and in fact, the things that we're going to be looking at is, uh, of course, Apple, because the watch has hit the streets and uh, many people are wearing it. It's out in the wild for the first time. So we've had I some still don't feedback. have one yet. I'm working on it. Have you ordered one? No. Well, that's the first step. Well, it is. <laughs> but it's working out what you want to. Get one of everything. Get, is it, what's the expensive one called? Is it the Elite? Something like that. The gold one, seventeen or twenty thousand dollar one. Worthless within two years. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it could be a collector's item. Who knows? <laughs> so uh, we're going to be looking at those impressions of the uh, watch, and uh, finally, somebody has thought up of a good use for a drone. Yay! Beyond all the other uses that have been, Sweden's using open source licensing for more than software, which is quite an interesting story. And uh, Russia's homophobia laws have targeted Apple. Also, under the heading of security and transparency, we're going to look at some uh, new offerings from Telstra and Google. And, of course, we are going to talk about some uh, game-related things, aren't we, Luke? Yes, looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to it as well because you can uh, educate us because I am very... hmm, lack of knowledge around games. Well, uh, we'll give you a starter kit. Good. Yep. That would be great. Fantastic. So don't forget that you can contact us on 1300JOY949 or 0427JOY949 or you can email us on onair at joy.org.au. We also have our social space as well. So Twitter at Technogaze, T-E-C-H-N-O-G-A-Z-E or on Facebook, TechnogazeJOY949. That's right. And... Our Facebook likers have yes. liked us again this week. Yes, we've got a, a few likes. So thank you and welcome to Berna, Shalom, Phoebe, Paul, Joe, Nick, Randy, Wazim, Dwayne, Lee, Chloe, Danny, and a new one, Nikita, for today. Lovely. So let's press on with Apple. 
the uh, quarterly earnings figures have come out, and I think Apple are very happy, and the market analysts are very happy, because uh, sales and profitability figures were higher than expected. And in fact, um, Apple is saying that on the strong, um, strong iPhone sales, both in China, UK, mm. and India. And I think it's probably, it's, it's strange, because I know Apple in the early days, like many other companies, is very much US-focused. But I think that they're getting a lot of revenue, if not the bulk of their revenue, from overseas markets. And it's an amazing turnaround from, you know, 20 years ago, where Apple was the one most likely to fall over, you know, and now all of a sudden... Are they the most valuable company on the planet or close to it? I think close to it. Yeah, if they're not yeah. the most, very, very close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And China's a big part of that, as you said, yeah. And and I think you see that in the way that they market their products, you know, with the gold iPhone, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is, you know, obviously to the uh, Chinese uh, market. Yes, and when you talk about what Apple was like 20 years ago, and then I kick myself for not buying shares. <laughs> well, the benefit of hindsight is a, is a wonderful thing. Yes. But, uh, I mean, I did, I did read an amusing thing quite a while ago that... If you instead of buying an Apple computer in like 1998, you had spent the money on Apple shares, you'd yes. be a millionaire now. True. <laughs> so it was like two thousand dollar investment or something. Oh, so, okay. Are yes. you rubbing it in? Are you? <laughs> but, but did you get enjoyment out of the Apple that you bought? So I did, but not as much as I would have got out of a million dollars. Although, but take away capital gains and all of that, but still, you know, who's going to look a gift horse in the mouth? Um, Apple also said that their uh, Mac and Apple Store sales grew. So not just iPhone, uh, but sales of the iPad continue to decline mm. down another 14% this year. So is this the end of the tablet? Do I don't think? think it's the end. I think it just needs to change in its own way. Maybe just not just the size of it, but mm. adding a little bit more to it. Okay. Yeah, a little pause before an upswing. I mean, I assume the iPod also has probably not had a great... Do they even still make the iPod? You can still buy iPods. You can still buy oh. iPods? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. just to, they're, they're a little bit different now. They're a bit smaller now, so rather mm. than big clunky ones that you used to get. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, for something, the, the bigger ones, you may as well get iPhone-type uh, size. True. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what is the future of the iPad because, of course, it was Steve Jobs that famously said, I'll, I'll never make a device that's going to be used in the toilet. <laughs> So that didn't happen, did it? <laughs> <laughs> now the uh, the watch people have been wearing it. Yes, they have, but there seems to be a technical, possibly not quite sure because we teething don't know. Problem. But there's some teething problems. Yeah, and uh, what have they called this one? It's another gate type, um, <laughs> you know, because of course everybody likes the word tattoo gate. gate. Tattoo gate. Hash- hashtag. <laughs> yes. Okay, what, what, what's happening with, with uh, Tattoo Gate? There seems to be an issue with wearing an Apple Watch if you've got tattoos. So as you're sort of going along wearing the watch, it seems to turn off and you have to then, of course, take it off and put it back on so that it resets again. So it seems mm, to be blocking there, the there light. Because there are sensors underneath yeah. on the back of the phone That's right. that detect your heart rate and yes. the electrical activity on your skin and everything in the, the tattoo ink. Yeah, it's, is, uh, it's blocking that sort of sensor to actually activate the light th- to penetrate through the skin. Ah, so, so the watch thinks that you, it's not on, the, on your correct, wrist. Correct, yeah. So there's been quite a number of videos over Twitter and people actually demonstrating, look, this is actually happening. So Now, it's not, it's not on lightly tattooed people. It's on people who've got some fairly yes. dark tattoos on, on their skin. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So it's it's reminiscent about um, there was a problem with the ca- with one of the web cameras yeah, a while ago. The, the Swedish engineers with their mm. webcam and it uh, hilariously uh, wouldn't track uh, black people's faces because I guess it had only been tested on white people. Yeah. And uh, 
uh, that there was a great YouTube video going around calling um, my webcam is racist. Mm, that's right. And it does. It is very re- reminiscent of that. Like, yeah. just not enough sort of not real world testing. testing. Yeah. I know, but how how would you even consider that as a, as a thought pattern? Unless, of course, one of the uh, people on the engineering team was heavily tattooed, in which case they may have, you know, found it out a bit earlier. But uh, still, it's one of these things that's really hard to test until you're in the wild. That's one of those. It's one of those things. I've been reading lots of articles about the fact that they're saying, wouldn't Apple have employees that have tattoos and potentially test? But it's one of those things that you have to research and market mm. and find out whether, you know, things like that do would actually occur, and obviously they have. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, at the Apple compound, there was some rule about you're not allowed to have tattoos to work there or you can only eat kale or, you know. <laughs> it's just, on one hand, the company's got a really cool reputation, yep. but also it does have a little bit of a, a cultish reputation. And About it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, ju- it just shows what the advantage of having a diverse workforce is oh. because if, you know, they would have had a fully diverse workforce that was involved in the testing, they probably would have discovered this earlier. But how could you ever anticipate that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's hilarious, though. Well, it's my favourite you know, iWatch story. I think one of the things is that it, it just pushes Apple out there even further, doesn't it? It gets the conversation going, gets people testing the product. So Yeah, true. So like, in a way, it's good publicity as well. So what, no pub- all publicity is good publicity? Yeah, well, you know, for Probably. Apple, it's, it's one of the, <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> it probably is. Now, Qantas has also hit a bit of turbulence with their watch app. Haven't they? That's mm. something that never should have got out of the lab, I guess, as well. So, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they obviously didn't test it in, um, yeah, real world situation. Mm. Well, part of, part of the issue they said is they couldn't physically get hold of. So, well, what what is what what's the problem? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, what it is is um, the the watch app works in conjunction with the phone app, and you can have your boarding pass downloaded onto your phone as a QR code. But if you've got the watch, it actually puts it on the watch. And the idea is you put your hand underneath the boarding pass scanner, and it will scan your hand. So you don't need to pull your watch out of your Pocket, sorry, your phone out of your pocket and put it underneath the reader. Except nobody actually tried to put a wrist with a watch under the scanner because there's not enough height between the top of the yes. scanner and the, the base of the scanner. Mm-hmm. I, the first person that, that found that out, I wonder if they missed their flight that day. <laughs> well, all the other passengers queuing behind them wouldn't have been happy, would they? <laughs> Well, so, it makes you think because a lot of them do use their iPhone because can, you can scale it up and you can scan it properly. Yes. And so you've got enough screen to do that. But on a wrist, it been you can't like, really scale up, can you? No. A hundred years ago, watching someone on a penny farthing go past going, it's the future, it's the future. <laughs> and everyone's a bit like, yeah, whatever. And then the person blocking the line with the phone going, no, it's the future, future it's the yeah. future. In future to have a missed aeroplane. <laughs> uh, the iFixit crowd, the people that tear down new products and show you how to fix them, if, if you can, have torn apart the uh, the watch. And uh, basically the only two things that you can fix or replace are the battery and the glass at the front. Mm. And the whole internal mechanism, if you try to pull it apart, it gets damaged and you have to throw it out. Mm. Now, it's not cheap to uh, fix the watch. You can take out a, um, an Apple Care Plus plan for $99 that will cover for two accidental breakages, but you do have to pay a uh, fee per service for each mm. one. But if you don't have Apple Care, the cost to replace the glass, I believe, is around about $329. Wow, so it's, it's like double. So you get the watch plus. Because mm, the watch is 400 and something dollars, I think, yeah. the cheap one. Yes. Anyway, see, uh, the, the demand is exceeding the supply, so Apple must be happy, I guess. They must be. Yes. Now, we have coming up next one of uh, the best drone stories I've heard in a while. Technogaze. You are listening to Technogaze on Joy 94.9. 
And we are going to be droning on. Oh, it's the day of bad puns, isn't it? <laughs> I love drones. We did talk about drones last week. We did, and we tend to talk about drones a lot. And usually, you know, we, we've brought stories about selfie drone, <laughs> porn drone. Porn drone? Yes, the, the drone that will shoot beautifully artistic porn from a height and as no it goes proof, through the forest. No and proof. Very, very good. But this one's a little bit more practical. It actually plants. What? trees yeah it's um it's amazing this little drone it goes through and they're saying they can plant a billion trees a year with it a lot of trees yes where though like well the idea is that um (laughs) in areas where forests have been lost and they want to restore forests one of the uh, biggest impediments to to doing that is obviously access because they can be quite rugged uh, to get into and the manpower that you need to do it so uh, this, it was the company, or the founder of the company, is an ex uh, NASA engineer, mm. and um, he uh, he said that with the drone it can plant thirty six thousand trees a day, and at about fifteen percent wow. of the cost of tradi- traditional manual mm. methods, which is pretty good. That would be amazing to see. I assume you can get a couple going at once, and they, yes. it must be like a bit like a bee colony. They just sort of fly in, <laughs> pick up the seeds, fly out, deposit them. Well, in fact, the the way that they deposit the seeds is quite smart. It's it, they don't just randomly drop them; they they do a scout for the the correct area. So it's it's all human driven. So somebody has to pilot it. Then uh, when they discover an area that they want to seed, it goes down, hovers about two to three meters above the ground, and it uh, it uses a it fires a pod that contains some pre-germinated seeds covered in some sort of nutritious hydrogel into the ground. The pod sinks into the ground and. That's how uh, the trees are planted. It's amazing. Yeah. I wonder how they get watered. Will a drone come along and water? Well, or, you know, I, I assume that I'm, uh, yeah, I, I assume that in forestry areas there's natural, there's sufficient water to you know to feed the plants. Well, we as have they robot grow. vacuums. It's only a matter of time till we have robot gardeners. Possibly. You know, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> My garden's a bit overgrown. This, this terrain's a little bit hillier than your your back garden. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be rumor shaped. Rumor shaped. It would. It'd fly. Oh, I see. You're, you're a drone gardener. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably want a humanoid one, though. Oh, uh, well, this is back onto the drone porn, right? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm getting totally confused. <laughs> yes. Anyway, apparently this is not as good as hand sewing, but uh, based on the volume that you can get through, it's a pretty good um, alternative. Now, Amazon's also been experimenting with drones before and uh, to deliver parcels. And I think they're probably not quite where they want to be because of uh, they're trialling a new delivery mechanism in uh, Germany, in Munich, in fact. And they're working with uh, DHL and Audi to pilot delivery of packages into your car boot. I know. I was watching um, something online and I could, it, pretty much what it does is that you only have that one key access for the boot to open. So you get your delivery, you organise it, the person comes along, they open opens their Opens yep. your boot, puts in the the required um, stock that you've paid for, and and off it goes. Or you can return it the same way as well. So I thought that was quite quite interesting. Hmm. And I guess they're um, addressing security implications of this by having this ability to have a one-time yes. remote opening, which uh, disappears the moment the boot is locked. Now they've had to specially fit um, Audi vehicles for the test. 
and also put in some special tracking software, or probably hardware, in fact, rather than software, to allow the driver, because the driver knows approximately where the car is, mm-hmm. and then they'll track it to the actual spot and pop the boot and, and put it in. But it does make sense that if, you know, why do you want to walk to the post office or, or even somebody delivering to your office where you just drop it in the boot, take it home, and um, then enjoy your purchase? The question is, would you use a service like that here? Well, I don't know. We've, I've, I've noticed that there are some companies, um, I think it's Coles at least, have had um, some storage lockers near petrol stations where you can get your supermarket shopping delivered into a locker and you can pick it up from there. So it, it, it does make sense because there are a lot of people who aren't at home during the day to receive packages and maybe they're not allowed to receive packages at work. Mm. So this is somewhere in between where it can be delivered securely either a locker or your car boot and uh, off you go. Wouldn't it be bad if they actually chose the wrong car and <laughs> got into that? <laughs> or if you're driving down the freeway and it decides to delivery then, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> or you have the little delivery man <laughs> roaring up behind you, I've got your package. <laughs> yes. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, then what are the requirements on car manufacturers to allow this to actually happen in the practical world. It seems slightly impractical, I think. Like, it just seems it'd be easier to drop it off at your house or at a predetermined location. I think it is today, but in the future when we have connected cars and connected cars are coming and you do get the... Um, the app on your phone to do things to it like to it doesn't reply in Australia so we think well why do you need it but to at least turn the car on when it's you know minus 10 degrees outside to warm up a little bit mm-hmm. you know you would turn it on remotely and you can pop the boot as well so you, and it might even be the case where the delivery person rings you up and says I'm here you pop the boot and they put it in and they shut it but isn't it I mean to me the debate about driverless cars at the moment is whether you'll own a car or whether it be an autonomous fleet where you summon a vehicle that's right on demand and so uh, maybe Audi's doing this to kind of incentivize owning a car still. Possibly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also push the brand. Yes. Oh, well, very, very much to push the brand because <laughs> they'll get lots of people talking about it and mm-hmm. watching the YouTube videos. But, yeah, I, I think in some ways, Luke, you're right. Car companies are going to have to find ways to remain relevant mm. in an era where most people probably don't care whether they own a car or not. Especially in the cities. Yes. You know, yeah. Where it's, they're actively discouraging it. So. Mm. Mm. And uh, it depends on the type of driver that you are, whether you do it for enjoyment of driving, whether you just want to get from point A to point B. That's That's true. Interesting future, in fact, with cars. And we uh, had a little chat with the Fender Bender guys about a year ago now about this. We probably should revisit it at some stage. Oh, driverless cars? Yeah. Mm, That'd be interesting. Oh, just imagining the future and being able to um, summon your car. I was reading... (laughs) A book where basically the character sort of drove up somewhere and then sent the car home. Mm. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I plan on living in my driverless car. Oh, do you? <laughs> Just take me to Brisbane, wake me up in seven days or something. It's called a caravan. Uh. <laughs> Sweden mm. are uh, using open source licensing for something other than software. Humans. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. <laughs> I think I better say that right. <laughs> yeah. go, go on. A little bit more detail, please. Nicole. DNA, yes. to be precise. Yeah, what are they doing? <laughs> um, well, basically, they're, they're creating DNA sequences. So um, so it's they've, pu- they've, done a, a, they've published something called Human Protein Atlas. Um, so it was their first open source release in 2012. Um, it's basically painting, painting, patenting human genes. Yeah, well, they're sequencing uh, the human genome and 
with this current project. And unlike some other companies that will charge you for access to the work that they've done to discover it, they've uh, released it under the Creative Commons license, which typically you see for open source software projects, saying that anybody can use it if, um, if, as long as you comply with the licensing terms. So it's available to anybody who's scientifically minded that way. Creative Commons license and the open, like the GPL and the mm. LGPL and even the OpenBSD license, I honestly think they'll go down as some of the greatest inventions of the 20th century. Just yes. this idea that uh, it's sharing work, but there's still protections for it. It's, right. mm-hmm. And it's using the copyright system to enforce sharing. It's, it's a really beautiful simple idea and it it holds up in the court everywhere it's tested and it's just great to see it being applied to more and more fields and 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 beyond just uh the software field do you know the differences between the different licenses uh well i'm i well the main two that i use well that i encounter in the software world is the gpl Mm -hmm. and the OpenBSD. and the gpl is a lot more stricter but in my mind a lot more free because it says you can borrow that you can use this work you don't have to but if you want to use our work you then have to share what you've modifications mm-hmm. you've done whereas the OpenBSD is a lot more freer and it says you can just use it oh okay oh, so okay. companies can take an OpenBSD code and lock it down because they don't have to share it they don't have to put, put it back in again yes whereas right. the gpl is well you you can only use my code if you're willing to keep sharing so I you, find that. Do you prefer the GPL? Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because there's a lot of unscrupulous people out there. Mm. Mm. Yes, because it, it, whatever add value add you put onto it, you give back to the community that way. Yes, and you, it's never you never force anyone to use the code. No, they're, no, they're choosing to but use it's it. There. Yes, yeah. that's right. Mm. Yeah, because it may be very specific for a particular application, mm. but it's uh, back in public domain again. Now, um, I was surprised. I, th- I hadn't heard of this before, but America's also got an open source genome project called Encode, mm. where they're doing something similar. And this has all come about because the uh, the ability to sequence DNA is much easier, and what used to take years to do now takes months. Wow. So they've only done one part of the uh, the DNA, and it'll take them quite a while, I think, to get through it all. Mm. So it must be a big task. Apparently, um, two years ago, the US Supreme Court ruled that you can't patent human genes. And they said that uh, naturally occurring DNA segments are a product of nature, and just because they've been isolated doesn't mean that they can be patented. Of course, this leaves uh, the door open for those bits of DNA that are man-made mm. at some stage into the future. Mm. That'll be interesting. Yes, that'll be very interesting. The first time you get a DNA injection and you'll be like, hmm. What, what did you just give me? Yes, yes. Maybe a humanoid will do that one. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Some, uh, what, AI, AI DNA? AI DNA, yeah. <laughs> Too many sci-fis. In, in, indeed. Yes, we've uh, all got some uh, vivid imagination. <laughs> We are going to be looking at Russia and their uh, anti-gay laws next. 27 minutes past five and you're listening to Michael, Nicole and Luke on Technogaze. Russia. They uh, brought in the famous homophobic anti-gay law to protect innocent children. And uh, now they're accusing Apple of distributing gay propaganda to minors under those particular laws. And it's all through Apple's U2 album. That's right. So last year, every half of the world complained because of the spam from uh, U2 when there's an iTunes update and you were forced to download this U2 album. And uh, apparently the cover artwork included the band's drummer embracing his adult son and both are shirtless. 
The uh, photo is a visual metaphor for the album and its theme of how holding on to your own innocence is a lot harder than holding on to someone else's. But a Russian uh, Duma deputy disagrees and he believes that it promotes sex between men and has referred it to the Attorney General. Hmm. They are really hell-bent on enforcing this law, aren't they? They are a little bit, but um, to be honest, I, I don't know why there's so much controversy when it comes to this. It's, you know, it's, it's simply, okay, the album was pushed out. You probably didn't want the download. Um, but I, I'm not quite sure why they would sort of well, they're, come they're, on this level. Well, they're jumping on any single image that possibly connotates Possibly connotates. Yes. Yeah. I think it's Russia's version of Stop the Boats. You know, it's just this slogan that the politicians can resort to, like stop the gays sort of thing. Well, it's appealing to uh, the mass population because when things aren't good at home, then if you can latch onto one thing that people may feel uncomfortable about or something that you can grow into a bigger thing and, you know, find a scapegoat, then you distract attention. They were foolish to put to put those laws in place because they've set themselves up in opposition to something that's just going to hammer away at them until they back down. Like... Yeah, I, d- I don't know. Do you think they'll back down? Because, the, you know, there's been a sort of boycott of Russia, a semi-boycott, mm. but I don't know how effective that's been. But it, there are gay people all over Russia, and it's it's going to follow, I mean, I assume, the same path that's followed pretty much everywhere else. They're just kind of going to, you know, become proud, proud you know, prouder and prouder, and then their families are going to come on board. and Either that or it, they're going to be stomped upon. So it's... Well, hopefully not. Well, hopefully not. And hopefully the world can bring some pressure to Russia to uh, try and reverse these laws. But it's, you know, in when the whole world is generally changing and becoming more open and mm-hmm. more accepting, it's very difficult to see one country going backwards. True. And uh, using every uh, avenue to... Uh, push what they see as the right path. I wonder what Apple's response is going to be, because this is this only broke the news, I think, yesterday or the yes. day before. So uh, Apple may have... Something worse than a U2 album. I think they've already... <laughs> <laughs> they've already done their worst. Two U2 albums. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, also on the security side, Google's got a new feature that allows you to view your entire search history. Yes. I don't know if you guys have had a look yes, at this. Yes, I have. You had a look yeah. as well, yeah? had a look and I was like, oh, did I really actually look at that the other day? Hmm. You can actually log in and you can go through your settings and you can actually see your history from each day that you've actually done a particular task online. So mm. you can certainly download the history or you can delete it too as well. Yeah, if you want to clear it. Mm. The um, What is interesting is I, I went through the exactly same thought process as you saying, oh, did I go there? Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember doing that. <laughs> Did you remember the count of number of Google searches you've performed? <laughs> I don't know. I just went through this whole list and went, wow, I'm Seven, too much on the internet. 17,410. That's my count. Wow. I use DuckDuckGo. Oh, okay. So, so you'd have no history, hopefully. Yes. Well, some history. I do, you know, you can't avoid Google. Google, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Especially if your browser points to it as default and you do it in the search bar, in, in the URL bar, then it just mm. will go mm. do it. The uh, other interesting thing is it shows you... Um, what links and what images you clicked on. So, you know, my most clicked on link is speedtest.net. Mm-hmm. And that's because... To <laughs> that me, tells a story. It, tell, it does tell a story. It tells a story of bad memory because for years I could not remember the URL for, to test the speed of the, the, uh, my internet connection. And then the top site, I was a little bit worried, it is Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's all right. So <laughs> I know that, someone out there has probably looked at their search history and the top link will be www.google.com. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's the thing they're searching for the most, and they'll never put mm-hmm. two to two together. Yes, that's mm. right. My 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 third one was Google, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, if anybody's interested, the URL is history.google.com. And you have to log in with your Google account. So mm-hmm. you need a Google account. Yes. And as Nicole said, you can download it. It does give you a warning about downloading it, mm-hmm. saying that if you have it in a file, that if somebody gets access to it, so don't download it on a public computer. Yes. Someone gets access to it, they can uh, see all of your a lot of personal information. So it's uh, fairly revealing. Now, uh, Telstra, I uh, I think you told me about this story, Luke. Uh, yes, because uh, a fellow by the name of uh, Will. Oh. Will Ockton, I believe his name is, mm. on uh, Ockenden on Twitter during the week. He finally got his metadata from Telstra. Uh, for years, they had uh, said, we're not providing it, but uh, uh, they changed their policy on it, and, right. and he requested it. And just uh, through the week, he was tweeting about it, and it was quite eye-opening for a lot of people. So, To see the volume of data that was in, the type of data? Yes, yes. I think the thing he was most shocked at is... Uh, your phone pings your local phone tower mm-hmm. every minute or so. Yep. And Telstra kept had a, a year's worth of that. So a wow. year's worth of the location of his phone every minute. Yeah, within a sort of a bandwidth of the tower. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And uh, he was like, oh, that, seemed, that seems a lot of information. And, of course, that is now mandatory collected on everybody. Mm-hmm. So... It uh, is. But mm. I, I, I guess there's a very good reason why they collected and they store it for that long is for billing purposes because I think Telstra are obligated to um, keep that. So if you do query your bill, and it can be up to a year later, mm. that they can say, well, hang on, we could tell on this date and this time this was the vicinity that you were in and it's not just one reading, it's, you know, a thousand readings. Well, data retention to provide a service to you. Uh, is perfectly fine in my mind. Yes. It's, if that data is being retained to be used against you, potentially, that's a bit of a problem. So, But there is a cost <laughs> So with everything. <laughs> so it's $25 for a simple request, um, but if you do want something a little bit more detailed, then it's on an hourly charge. But Telstra did say this is the same mechanism that they're using to uh, charge law enforcement yes. agencies when they request the same thing. And good on Telstra being... A more transparent about it. Yes, yes you know, it's, it's very good. Because yeah, part of the problem with data retention is people are like, we don't actually know what's happening with this data. So, And we don't know what data is there as well. We've got, you know, like uh, Will found out, there's all this information that he didn't expect. Mm. Now, he probably is not going to change his pattern of behaviour, but it's nice to know what's being collected. Mm. And as an end user, you don't know, you don't understand, and you, to some degree you probably don't care because you don't understand what the ramifications may be mm. of having this. But it's a huge amount of data. Um, Telstra, when they changed their minds, said that uh, they'll be giving you, as in us, access to the metadata related to you so that we provide, uh, that we will, we would provide in response to a lawful request without a warrant, with a warrant from a law enforcement agency. We believe that if the police can ask for information relating to you, you should be able to as well. So yeah, in the aid, in the aid of transparency, I think that's a great move. Definitely, for sure. I wonder how many people are going to be doing it. Who knows? Twenty five dollars. But then there will be data collected of that as well to analyse and the people the people who are asking for their metadata (laughs) straight on the list. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Now it's meta metadata. (laughs) Meta metadata. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's too meta for me. (laughs) A cynical person might say this is a a way of Telstra to raise some more revenue. Possibly. But Do I'm they not, need more revenue? <laughs> always. Oh. Always. It's, it's, it's like a cupboard space. No matter how much you've got in disk space, no matter how much you've got, you fill it and you always need more. 
And that's with life, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, yeah, what else do we have? Uh, choice. Australian consumer adv- advocacy group Choice has said that some VPNs could be blocked under s- some new copyright law that's being considered by the Senate. That, uh, that if this new law passes, copyright owners would be able to apply for a federal court order which would require ISPs to block overseas sites whose primary purpose is infringing copyright or facilitating the infringement of copyright. So, in itself, it sounds relatively harmless, but and they are targeting those websites that offer a VPN service so that you can, um, you know, get copyright material illegally. But I wonder what else they're going to catch in the process, as in stop people from accessing in the process. Well, this is a classic case of they're trying like legislative solutions to technological problems or technological solutions to legislative problems. It's it's sort of a you know, it's going around in a circle. So yes. mm. you know, they'll, they'll ban websites, but then people switch to VPNs. But then they can mm-hmm. ban VPNs or license them because I doubt you'll be able to f- really get rid of virtual private networks because they're so essential to just the functioning of, of businesses. Uh, but then, you know, license them or whatever, but then they'll find some other way around it. And, you know, the best solution to a technological problem is a technological solution, like making a service that's as competitive to torrenting, for example. Yes. You know, uh, yeah. So it just seems to me that they're wasting their time pretty much and just causing a lot of hassle and it's not going to work. There have been cases in the past where um, websites have been taken down improperly. And when I say improperly, instead of uh, removing the DNS entry, the entry that basically does the lookup for the website name and gives an IP address, they have blocked the whole IP address without considering the fact that that one IP address can serve many, many websites. Mm. So in the States, um, from time to time, you had cases where dozens and dozens of legitimate websites would go down to be replaced by an FBI banner saying, you know, this is being blocked for infringement, blah, 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 Mm. when in fact they were just blocking one of the tenants, if you like, on that IP address Mm. and then blocked the whole lot. So, Well, the people doing it don't really know. It's so hard to be on top of it all. Like I know Parliament House during the week, uh, Kevin Rudd's website was blocked. Oh, really? Uh, That that went around on Twitter as well. Uh, Yeah, just people had great fun with that. You know, and these and the same people that are blocking Kevin Rubb's website uh, will be the ones deciding which websites will be blocked for the rest of us. It's it doesn't inspire me with much confidence. No, the um, Australian Copyright Council says that um, using VPNs or or geo blocks is. Uh, not allowed within without the permission of the owner. And this is after uh, Choice said that there are about 684,000 uh, Australian homes that use VPNs to bypass geoblocks. So geoblocking is uh, geoblocking software allows you to use a VPN to connect onto a service and then access the content that it normally wouldn't be allowed from, let's say, Australia. Mm-hmm. So famously, um, the US Hulu service, yes. which I think was free, but I'm not sure if it's free anymore. Well, you can't really access it because when you go onto the website, it tells you you're in the wrong region. region. So, But if you subscribe to some geoblocking software and you use a VPN, it comes out into the right region. And as mm. far as the site is concerned, you are legitimate and you're allowed to yeah, use so it. So you set up a fake, well, not a fake, you set up a point in the US to relay the data to you. So yes. you, so that your US computer connects to Hulu. Mm. Yeah, and then, that's right. And so it's perfectly legitimate. Well... According to the uh, Australian Copyright Council, they say, no, it's not legitimate. But what's conflicting is that uh, Malcolm Turnbull's website, where he's got a, uh, an FAQ about the policies, says that um, it is not illegal under the Copyright Act. Well, I think region locking 
which is the old term for geo-blocking, region locking was explicitly outlawed in the 90s in Australia because of uh, just before DVDs. And so it was never illegal oh, was it? Oh, okay. to have a, like a different region DVD in yes. Australia. Yes. It was just never particularly enforced. Oh, okay. uh, and I think that's the hangover from that. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. Be- because when you think about it, if I'm sitting in America, I'm allowed to l- watch Hulu, according to, um, depending on which side of the fence you're on. But when I'm outside of America, I'm not. So what happens if I've got a video camera, a web camera pointing to a TV set, or pointing to a computer that's running Hulu? <laughs> Well, <laughs> but poor, that, and that computer's sitting in America. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Okay, that's not a good way to uh, bypass it. The uh, CEO of Aria did say that there needs to be a three-pronged approach to make it easier for people to do the right thing by investing in legal services, educate people on those services, and make it harder for people to access Ill- illegal services, which would be great. So, why doesn't Netflix offer the same range of content here in Australia that it does elsewhere? And that's where I think licensing and things like that need to come in place. So, it's probably not really a VP issue as such it's probably more about licensing and and doing things that you need to do so that people can have access to the but following the old model of licensing for as long as possible because that's the most in terms of maximizing revenue for them and they're going to go screaming and kicking into the we will license once and allow everybody to have it through that one license and you know really it's a case of i will do as much as i can for as long as i can yes yeah so, anyway, we shall see, won't we? We are sitting at 18 minutes to 6, and we're going to be coming back with uh, Valve and some gaming news. Technogaze. This is Technogaze with Michael, Nicole, and Luke. Luke, this is your segment. <laughs> All right, I'm going to talk computer games, and I know not everybody is a big gamer or whatever, so please I love games. Feel free to ask questions, or... I will ask questions because I put up my hand to say I know very little. I think this was a really interesting thing happened during the week, and Mm. so try and and get through it. So, uh, you know, computer games, you play them, they're humorous, there's art, you know, action, all that sort of stuff, but there's there's sort of a subculture that's developed over the last 30 years called uh, mod, modding. Right. What's it's nothing that? to do with Vespers. It's all to do with, <laughs> with the games themselves. Uh, it's where you know you can you can alter the game as a hobby. So how do you get to alter the source code of a game? Well, many games come with the source code, or they come with the art in a little subdirectory or anything. So mm-hmm. you know you can just go in and change it, and then your change will appear in the game when oh, you okay. start it back up. So is this is this only for PCs? Uh, no, it's got a long history in most most things, but it's very common in the PC because the right. tools yeah. come, you know, the tools come with the computer to do that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But can you do it on like Xbox dedicated consoles or not? Uh, you can. It's not a or to a lesser extent. To a lesser extent, because okay. it's a lot more locked down. Right. Those sorts of things. Okay. Uh, and you know, and so modding traditionally it's used to you know add new characters or new levels or change the way fix bugs is a very common one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a game that you love has some bug in it but it's yep. no longer supported someone will just fix the bug and then mm. they share that fix and oh, so that's that's a mod okay so it's almost like this open, open source, source yeah. yes it would be exactly. yeah. Yeah. Uh, but of course uh you know it's legally gray issue because it's very unofficial it's hobbyists it's fans of the game yep uh and so you're doing it for love yeah absolutely for love and and it can be the quality can vary a lot and the intent so even if it's a very serious game like a sort of a high fantasy game with like elves and orcs uh, some modder could do something cheeky like replace the dragons with you know Thomas the tank engine. <laughs> oh, so no. you'll be playing and then all of a sudden 
How about a couple of mignons? No kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, no, well, you cared, but you it's, could. <laughs> it's, it happens. And, and of course, it's very queer friendly because uh, there's not much queer content in games. And so uh, the community makes their own queer content and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. better looking characters or a common one is to mm-hmm. add or remove moustaches from the characters in a game <laughs> just because people <laughs> like moustaches on their characters. And, yeah. and so it's, you know, it's, it's overwhelmingly fans doing it and sharing it out right. of love yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, during the week a company called Valve who run an online PC gaming store the largest one called Steam mm-hmm. they uh, they added a little side store to their main service uh, where you could sell mods uh, and for the first time they okay. sort of monetized this community effort so if I wrote the mod would I put it up there and sell it and they would get a percentage yes. like yep. Apple does and Absolutely. Google and so, so on is it, the, okay. it would be split three ways yep. between Valve the company that made the game and mm-hmm. the person that did the mod oh okay and Oh, so the company that made the game also got a, yeah, a bit in of... Fact, so they get 25% or something? Well, I think the company sets the figure themselves. Right. right. Okay. The share. And uh, okay. so they, they open up this little side store mm-hmm. and within four days they shut it down <laughs> because the public outcry and outrage... Yes. Uh, as they said, it, the, the store itself was profitable, but the bad will was costing us millions of dollars mm. across the rest of the company. And uh, it was just... The biggest problems with it, as it turned out, was that... The, the the profit sharing, yes. uh, the modders uh, were only getting twenty five percent. But of course, like how much money should they get modding someone's game who <laughs> spent all the time and money making the original game? That's right. Mm. You know, so no one was quite sure what a fair value for that was. And how do you enforce quality control? You know, how do you tell if it's a good mod or a bad mod? Can, Absolutely, can, that was. Could th- you get your money back? <laughs> well, you you can get a refund for twenty four hours, I think. But after that, you're mm. on your own. Oh, yeah. but if it takes longer than to play through the whole game, yes. then mm. it might start off really good. Beware, buy yes. beware. And of course, if a new version of the game comes out, an official version that breaks compatibility with the mod, who's responsible for that? Oh, yeah, true. uh, Mm -hmm. That no one knew. Uh, And the lawyers were like, well, maybe Valve, because they sold it, maybe the modder, but it's, it was just... uh, Sounds like it was a bit complicated. (laughs) It was very complicated, but but more than... But I think the, the, the main thing out of it was that the community resented kind of being monetized in this way. Mm. Uh, and Forbes, Forbes magazine described it as turning friends into food. Right. Because, you know, makes these, sense, yeah. these mm. mods, they're hobbyists, they love the game, mm-hmm. they love everything about it, and then all of a sudden money enters the equation mm. and, you know... It, it just ruins it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And, and it's, they've been doing it for so long. 30 years is a long time to have this tradition mm. that, uh, yeah, I can imagine the uh, outcry on it. You don't mess lightly, I guess. Yeah, and, and it was purely for uh, Valve wanting to make a dollar. Oh, uh, you know, Valve, it's it's got a double-edged sword with the gaming community because it is sort of the indie that made good. It wasn't mm-hmm. one of the big publishers, right? but it's just grown and grown and grown. It is now one of... It's the gatekeeper for PC games. Uh-huh. And so people love it but hate it. It's a classic... Have they sold out? Haven't they sold out yes, argument? exactly, yeah. exactly. be interesting if they actually um, did some research around what you know, could potentially be down the track. Well, when they when they uh, withdrew the service after four days, they, they did a mere culpa, mere coupler. I can never get that right. A mere, <laughs> culpa. mere culpa, I think, yes. Yeah, and they said, oh, we just put it out there. We thought it was a cool idea, but clearly we blundered. We blundered into something we didn't really mm-hmm. understand, and we hope you'll forgive us. And, uh, it was only four days, so I'm sure they'll, they'll forgive. Yeah, yeah. 
but four days in internet time is is a very True. long time. <laughs> and I think four days in the memories of gamers is also going to be a very very long time. Well, people are looking for reasons to hate Valve sometimes. Do you mm. think that somebody else may try to start up another PC distribution type service? Oh, there are. There's uh, Origin, I think, is one of the other big ones. Uh, oh, there's a independent game developers of a group of them in the US. It's come out of the, the Gamergate thing a bit. Right. I think it's called Itch.io, mm-hmm. uh, and it's for the games Valve doesn't want to touch, like, you know, smaller, like, feminist games or right. pansexual games yes. and things like that. The quirkier uh, stuff. So. Oh, okay. And mm. so Valve, what, actively uh, looks at games and says, I won't sell them? or how? This, It's pretty complicated, I guess, mm. but there's a gatekeeping process called Greenlight where you propose putting your game on Steam mm-hmm. and people vote up or down. And, okay. you know, 30 million people who are very mainstream. Mm. And so the more indie games really struggle to get through that process. And so a group of them have decided to just bypass it and kind of do like do a punk own. version yeah. of, Val- of Steam. What's the downside for Valve just putting everything up? Well, the, the value in Steam is that it's curated a bit. Oh, okay. So uh, we, we only have the good stuff and we won't... Mm. Yeah, okay. I understand. Their, their, their level is very low. They let my game in, so they, their standards can't be too oh. low. <laughs> no, I'm but, sure your game is very good. I have not played it yes, because yes. I... That's I right. can't play games, but I'm sure it's very good. Hmm. Let people know about it if you like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so you mentioned uh, Gamergate. Yes. Oh, yes. What's Gamergate? Uh, uh, you know, what isn't Gamergate? Okay. It was basically just a, a backlash against, uh, I guess, queer and alternative voices and, and female voices in gaming. Right. Uh, just... You know, because there's been a lot of debate over the last few years in the gaming community about representation of mm-hmm. people. Because it's even though it's a very new field of art, it's yep. actually probably the most conservative compared to film and television and books. It's strange that, isn't it? Because mm. it is new. You would mm. think that it would be, yeah. The, but I guess the players are coming from a certain background. And also, game developers are, are very conservative in what they do because I think they're on the edge. They're pushing new technologies, and so they mm. go, "Well, we can't. Not everything can be new. We have to mm. kind of." To, to let people actually understand what we're doing, we need to kind of resort to some staples. Right. You know, and so it's all very, you know, sci-fi and fantasy mm. and, and that. And, yeah, so uh, some p- people who are outspoken about that started getting attacked online. Right. And it's coalesced into this movement called Gamergate. Uh, it's, 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 it's unfortunate because perhaps there's a kernel of, to what they're saying but the language they use and the company they keep mm-hmm. is so despicable, you can't even get to that first step of the conversation. Right. You know, because they, they do this thing called doxing. So some prominent feminists, they hack into their accounts, you know, they get death threats, mm. they try and get them fired, you know, all these sorts of things. And you're like, well, I, we can't even listen to what you're saying until you, you're being civil. Right. Yeah, so it's unfortunate, Gabby mm-hmm. Gate. Mm. Mm. Okay. Now, uh, there's a gaming convention. Oh, speaking of representation of yes. queer people in gaming. So, about it's all kind of in the same melting pot, the same stew. So, about three years ago, a group of people in San Francisco kick-started a gaming convention for queer people called GamerX. Mm. Um, it was quite popular. Mm-hmm. It came, yeah, and they've done three of them. Or they've done two. The third one's coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the word on the street... This is a bit fresh, so... 
Don't 100% not, not quote me on this. Not locked in. <laughs> not locked in. The word on the street is they're coming to Australia early next Ooh. year. So oh, that would be, be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it'd be the first time it's held outside the USA. And yeah, yeah. Do you know when, when, and where? I've. Well, I've heard Sydney around Mardi Gras time. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, it could be quite the party. Would you be going if it's there up in Sydney? Oh, you know, I've never been to Mardi Gras. Have either of you been? Yes. I went this year for the first time and I sat inside a room <laughs> pressing buttons on the uh, audio panel <laughs> ah. <laughs> for the broadcast. <laughs> but were you out in the street? Yes, definitely. Yeah. It was. It's. It's such a great... Um, party and you know mm. what it represents. So it's, yeah. it's certainly um, so certainly something for everyone to do. But um, definitely with um, the Gamer X, it sounds like if it is going to happen, then I'm sure it will change the way. It's called GX now. I, oh, I guess GX. they keep oh, simplifying sorry, the titles. And <laughs> oh, well, we will hear soon whether it's coming to Australia or not. Yes, yes. Now, very briefly, Nicole, you've got a story that you wanted to talk about. Yes, um, it was a story from last week that we didn't get to chat about, but it's a, it's a 102-year-old lady who actually sees herself dancing on film for the first time. And we're not saying film as in... Uh, seeing it on a TV, but actually on through an iPad. So, okay. so with technology and the way that it kind of operates, um, she she was able to actually see herself perform as she used to, um, and she's 102 years old. So, which is quite a good age. Yeah, and she's you know sound of mind, and she's she she really appreciated the fact that they went out of their way to find this footage of her, and um, she recognised herself, and you know she loves dancing, and it was just a really positive wow. story around how technology can really change the way we we do things and it shows you it talks about uh, accessibility whereas once upon a time if you she had to go into a movie theater to see the old reel-to-reel film that she wouldn't probably wouldn't have been able to and uh, they can just bring it to her on an ipad it's great 102 wow yeah and we'll we'll post it on the um, facebook fan page for everyone to have a look yeah that that should be good it is five minutes to six and you're listening to techno gaze on joy 94.9 techno gaze we are heading towards the last few minutes of Technogaze, and as usual, it's gone very, very quickly. But we thought we would talk about this next story, which is amazing. You know, when you think of uh, Professor Stephen Hawking, you don't think he's 73. I know. No. I was a bit shocked about that one. So was I. And, you know, so we've got a relatively old man, not that old, but 73-year-old, suffers from motor neuron disease. But uh, one thing he does have is a sense of humour. Last weekend, he uh, was at an appearance at the Sydney Opera House and he was asked what his advice would be to, uh, if any young fan, for any young fans who were heartbroken because Zayn Malik left One Direction. Now, Zayn is the good-looking one you pointed out before, Luke, didn't you? He's so dreamy. <laughs> yes. Well, this is uh, what Stephen Hawking said. Finally... A question about something important. <laughs> My advice to any young girl is to pay close attention to the study of theoretical physics, because one day there may well be proof of multiple universes. It would not then be beyond the realms of possibility that somewhere outside of our own universe lies another different universe. And in that universe, Zane is still in one direction. <laughs> This girl may even like to know that in another possible universe, she and Zane are happily married. Well, I think 
uh, that that leaves some scope for some of us to get married to Zane as well. Hopefully. In um, other universes. Time to invent parallel universe hopping. See, we've got humanoids, we've got parallel universes, we've got all sorts of things. Yep, indeed. Now, we, uh, of course, have run out of time, but if you've missed any part of the show or perhaps you're looking to listen to previous episodes, you can do so by going to joy.org.au slash technogaze. Nicole, thank you very much. Thank you. And Luke, thanks for being here. My pleasure. And uh, the News at Six is next with Michael, followed by Dick with a Touch of Pink, whose single of the week is the cover of Suzanne Vega's Tom's Diner. Have a great weekend and we will catch you next week. Techno Gaze on Joy 94.9. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.